Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we are here with Sharon Vornholt. She is with Innovative Property Solutions in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and Sharon, we love to kick this off with a story. So could you please just start us off with one of your craziest real estate transactions or experiences that you've had? Sure, Tim. I, we were talking a little bit before the show and I said, I don't have nearly as good stories as some of your guests do, but I did have one, you know, where you advertise for a cash buyer and they show up to look at the property and they just literally want me to give them the keys to the property. And they had a suitcase full of cash, <laughs> literal <laughs> cash. So I told them we couldn't do that because this was a legal process. And uh, my daughter quickly went into a different room and sent me an emergency text like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> so we had an emergency and um, I carefully explained to them that we couldn't close the transaction with a suitcase full of cash. And then we left and that was the last of that. I'm going to have to deem you the queen of marketing since you hit your <laughs> avatar perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you got your cash buyer. Yeah, my cash buyer. I nailed my cash. Buyer. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, that could be scary because obviously, like Tim, have you yeah. experienced that with someone literally showing up with a bag of cash? Um, luckily, not yet. No. Um, I have had people like ask me. It's like, oh, do I bring the cash in person? And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, no. <laughs> it's like we need a paper trail. Um, this is definitely a, a legal transaction. So I mean, you can't just show up with yeah, a briefcase. Yeah, because if you do, they're gonna. Have the um, I've had people ask. waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've, I've had people saying like, oh, I'm gonna need to deposit all the money I have under my mattress. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, um, that you works. Know, yep. Talk about that with yep. your lender. Yep. You know, <laughs> your, your criminal attorney. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> criminal term. Good deal. Awesome. Yeah. So take us into Sharon, what you expected real estate to be like before you got in. And then what was it actually like for you? Well, it's curious that you asked me that because when I, I had a home inspection company for 17 mm -hmm. years, uh, which I don't recommend being in that business, but it's uh mm -hmm. So about 10 years into that business, I had a realtor, you know, knew a lot of realtors in that business. And she came in and said, do you want to go into a RIA meeting? Well, that was the first inkling I had that you did not have to be a realtor to be in real mm. estate. I really had no idea about that. We had a realtor that lived across the street from us. You can imagine that when you're in your 20s starting out, and there's this guy that drives around with real estate signs in the trunk of his car and everybody else has jobs. Mm. We just thought he was a little bit crazy. We didn't, we couldn't figure out how, how he actually made steady income. So I thought that, um, it, that was my perception of real estate. So when my friend Rita asked me to go to the RIA meeting and I saw these people buying properties and it was like, holy crap, a whole new world mm. opened up as far as real estate. My dad was a general contractor when I was growing up and being the oldest and therefore the most well-behaved of four children, I got to go <laughs> along job sites with him. So I got an early introduction to um, rehabs and things like that. He did more um, commercial things. He did a lot of medical stuff, but in that doing that, he worked on the, a lot of doctors' homes. So for me, the smell of wood and the saws and all of mm -hmm. that, I loved the whole rehabbing process and that 
when I started out, I started out part-time for 10 years. Um, I kept the one business and I invested about, I would do a flip by rental, you know, do a flip by rental. And I loved rehabbing, but I, I liked it for all the wrong reasons. I liked the pretty mm -hmm. of rehabbing. Mm -hmm. I like to take the old house and make it really nice and do all of that. But it is a risky mm. business. You know, probably my worst deal, I like to say, I never lost money. But one time a realtor made more money than I did because I didn't know what mm -hmm. I didn't know. And I didn't factor in the fact that he was going to say, well, this is a first time home buyer. You know, it's customary. You pay all their closing costs and on and on and on. So whatever he made, I made wow. less. But that was my introduction into, gosh, this is fun and it's lucrative, but it can also be very mm -hmm. risky. Never lost money. I, I was know. about to say, that stood out to me it? too. Congratulations. <laughs> I have, unfortunately, a couple times. Well, I, I've been, I, you know, I've been lucky, I think. Um, but I, I mean, to do a rehab over how many weeks and walk away with $3,000, mm -hmm. that's pathetic. Terribly pathetic. But I didn't it lose is. money. Yeah, I was going to say, it's much worse when you spend three months on a rehab and you lose $15,000. Um, <laughs> but it's also like the best learning experience you could have. Like if that happens to you, you're going to make sure it doesn't yep. happen again. Yep. Um, okay, great. So let's get into this. Like what goals do you think have served you really well? And what goals do you think have not served you as well in your career? Well, I think... It's good to have goals. I think you, I think you need to have goals. I think they need to be realistic goals. And I think you, I think you need number goals for me. Initially, it was um, more about the number of properties more so than the, the number of properties and then maybe a, an amount of money that I hope to make. So, but I, I don't think you can ever really achieve a lot of success if you don't have some type of goals, you, and you, but you also have to have a plan to be there to get there. So one of the, I'd say a life-changing book that I read was the 12 week year by Brian mm. Moran, where he has you take your great big annual goals, break them down into quarters and then into months and then to how am I going to get this done on a week by week basis. But having goals for um, deals, which meant I had to get really focused on marketing. So as you know, if you, you can have the biggest goal deal in the world, but if you don't know how you're going to get there, if you don't know how you're going to get your marketing out and what your marketing channels are and all of that marketing nerd stuff, you're not going to probably reach any of your goals. Because I would say just being focused, my, I would say one goal was to get my marketing out on time every month. Yeah, that's awesome. And your goals are surrounding activity as it seems mm -hmm. like as much as they're surrounding the end result, which is mm -hmm. tremendous. Right. That's yeah, because you have far more control over the activities that you perform on a day-to-day -day basis on the results that you're going to get from them. So if you mm -hmm. focus on the activities and then if you do good at tracking your results and stuff like that, it mm -hmm. makes it quite easy to scale. It, it is easier. And I think that's where the breakdown is with most people. They have good intentions. You have good goals and you may even have a good, process in mind for getting where you want to go. But I'll give you an example. And I, I'm really, I have a Google calendar. I have everything on my phone. I also have a planner, which I live and die by. But when it comes to marketing, I'm really old school. I think you need the big marketing calendar on your wall, the old kind you get at Home Depot where you flip over the pages. So when you go at the end of the year, math says, 
I just don't get it. Well, what happened in June? I got no deals. And then you got to go back and look at May and June. You go, well, I kind of forgot to market. Mm. So then you mm -hmm. have to be accountable for the fact that you didn't do your job. That's why I tell people, do not get one where you tear the pages off because it's too easy to go into denial <laughs> way. But mm -hmm. plan your marketing. If you're, if you do direct mail, you, it should be on that calendar. I'm going to do direct mail to these groups of people, maybe probates this week, or I always worked off market, maybe these next week, whatever that is. Uh, networking, the most underrated form of marketing mm. on the planet. I always looked at it as a fun activity. It's a job. If you, mm -hmm. you're out there marketing your business, you're building your brand. And if you're brand new, trust me, you still need to be branding. You need to go up to Tim at a meeting and say, hey, Tim, I'm brand spanking new, but I'm here to learn. My name is whatever. So you can start that from day one. That was probably the biggest, if I had to say a mistake I made early on was I was the person who walked in the room. I used to be really kind of shy, kind of hard to believe now, but <laughs> I would, our meetings were four, five, 600 people. Oh. And I would just go to the door and I would look for a chair where I knew somebody like, <laughs> okay, look, where's, where's the safe chair this week? So don't do, don't do what I did. Go in with the intention of meeting one, two, three people that will become real connections and learn how to network properly. In other words, don't go in and just start dumping your life on them. Just say to them, introduce yourself and say, hey, Tim, what do you do? Or hey, Matt, what do you do? So learn how to network effectively. And that makes people interested in what you do. And they're almost always going to, people always say, can I get on your buyer's list if you're a wholesaler? And so that's not really the question to lead with. I would say it differently. I would say, look, I know you probably get a lot of requests to be on, uh, for people to be on your, your buyer's list, but I am actually a, a cash buyer and, you know, I have a line of credit through the bank or whatever that looks like, a private money lender. So if your person that you work with all the time can't, uh, doesn't want this deal, please consider me for your plan B is a much softer way to put it and then ask permission to give them your address. So go to the meetings go to the, uh, your networking events, put that on your calendar, make that a thing that is a job, but go with a plan, go with a plan to get something out of it that doesn't benefit you. And also find out how you can help someone else. It's curious that I've interviewed a lot of people and one of the things that they say all the time is that they volunteered in someone's business. Mm. They volunteered for four months, six months, whatever. They learned all the systems in the business. They ran how the business ran. They did everything that was asked of them for free. Maybe it was in the evening, but they came out with an education you just couldn't buy. You can't get it at a seminar. You can't get it from a conference but it's, it's the most valuable education that they got. That is such a good piece of advice. So what I'd like to do, because Tim and I joke about this, because uh, he's a marketing guy, <laughs> I'm a sales guy. I'm trying to become more of a marketing guy. Mm -hmm. He's in the past tried to be more of a sales guy. It seems to me, would it be correct in saying that you gravitate towards marketing? And has yes. that always been the case? Yes, because I'm... I, I've never really nailed sales. Um, I can talk to someone and tell them like, uh, like if I'm trying to tell them about my probate course, I don't sell. I would say, this is how it can benefit you and your business. 
Tim and Matt, if you all were to do this, Tim, this, I've got all the marketing stuff in there. It's all for investors, but also it's a parallel course for real estate uh, agents, by the way, who are all missing the flipping boat on probates because there's two sides to this coin. Some properties will be listed, probably most will be listed. The rest will not. So I would go, that's my version of selling you something. I, I'm not a hard sell. I'm not, I'm more just going to talk to you about it because that's not my strong suit. I wish I was better at sales actually, but um, it's just not my, it's not my thing. I mean, I can do it. I can sell properties. I can do all that, but that's just a conversation. Mm -hmm. I had to stop looking at it really as sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, that's a yeah. terrible confession to make, isn't it? I could totally relate to you, but actually, I mean, what you just explained, I mean, when you really break it down is actually still a sales process, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we might not be as aggressive as some salespeople like Mr. Kavanaugh <laughs> here, um, but we're still going through a sales process that has been proven and is repeatable, mm -hmm. right? So like what I do right. is I love to ask the right questions mm -hmm. and then I simply provide the solution that they're looking for. And exactly. it's still a sales role, I suppose. Yeah. But I'm really just solving their problem. So I don't really feel like it's a sales role at all. I'm basically customer service. Um, so that's the way I look at it. Um, it's definitely still a sales role. But I mean, I still like if you serve the client well, you don't really have to be a salesperson. You don't have to. And I think it takes the burden off. I have a nephew who has always he went to college and got a degree and but he just always loved sales and he would just get fired up. And he was 21, 22 years old. And he'd say, I just love going in for the the kill to get the contract. And I'd go, Oh God, that's just so not me, but he's really good at it. He's really passionate at it, but they never feel like they've been, you know, just crushed on. He's just really good at it. And if you said to me tomorrow, I'm going to give you this free course on how to do that and go, Nope, I'm perfectly happy with marketing. <laughs> my way. That's so perfect. Um, well, let's dig into that a little bit. I mean, I know you focus a lot on marketing and branding. Um, could you give me like a broad strokes overview of like somebody new to investing? What do you think would be a good way for them to get started out? Well, I think when it comes to marketing channels, a certain amount of it has to do with your personality. I'm a big direct mail person because I've always worked off market deals and that's how you find off market deals. So from where I sit, I think everybody should have three to five marketing channels. Uh, I'm never cold calling anyone. So mm -hmm. if you want a cold call, God bless you. It's, it works. It certainly works. I'm not doing that. I'm going, my top things I like are direct mail. They're networking. They are websites for lead generation and content creation. Those are my top four that I like. So you have to, you have to go into this with a plan and they have to be, you have to have a written marketing plan which by the way, you can get a template on my mm. website and I'll give you a link Beautiful. to that later. You put it, you put it down into steps. Like if, let's say if I were going to do direct mail, step one is to decide who am I going to market to? And then next, how do I get a list? It, probates are almost always sourced locally. You can buy out of state absentee owner lists. You can buy many lists, but probates are going, they're going to be a local thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but who, are, who am I going to market to? And the next thing is, what's, what's my message and my mail piece? Some things you can do postcards for, oversized postcards for. You don't want to send someone whose mama died a postcard. Mm. You want to send them a letter, a white computer-generated mail merge letter that says, Dear Mr. Winfrey, 
or dear, however you want to address them. I'm, I'm contacting you about this property. And in the letter, it's going to say something like, um, explain briefly who you are, how you can help them. Um, I'll, I address the elephant in the room that I know that they've had someone that's passed away because trust me, it's going to come up in the phone mm-hmm. note, in the phone call. They're going to be going, how did you know about this? How did you know? And I just would rather address it up front. And then from there, there, you know, I always say something like this may not be the right time you're ready to sell, but, um, I'll contact you, um, at, regularly. And I'm going to send them a letter every month, as long as the house is available. And then I'm just going to check in with them. How's the estate coming? You know, when you're ready, here's how you can contact me and uh, here are the things we can do for you. So it's a, uh, you're building rapport with this very targeted mail piece over time without them having any stress uh, added to their life. And you're letting them know that you understand that this is a legal process that uh, it's going, it's likely going to take some time and you're, you're fine with that. The, the real secret here is to get the leads in your pipeline because statistically speaking, 81% of your deals, not your calls, but your deals will come at or beyond your fifth mailing. So think about this for a minute. Sadly, it's the cycle of life. Probates are every month. There's a new list. So you get the first few months, you're going to get, you're going to get some calls. You're going to get some deals, but you're, you're, building this runway to, to that five month period. So that going forward, every month is the fifth month for somebody, you know, a fourth month. Like I said, you'll get deals off of the first mailing, you, you know, but you're going to statistically build those momentum because especially with probates, they're going through a lot of stuff. So your job is to be patient. I heard one of you say that before. Your job is to be patient, to be there, because your competition, another statistic, is that 90% of the people will quit on or before the third mm-hmm. mailing. So you mm-hmm. just want to be the last guy standing. Mm-hmm. You know, as many, and the other thing that I, I really messed up early on is when somebody told me, no, I thought it actually meant no. Mm-hmm. Um, I've since <laughs> learned that when they tell you no, it means not exactly. now. And 80% of your deals will come from follow-up. Yes. And a lot of those, even after they've said no. So if you can understand how this works and you put together a cohesive marketing plan, so you got your plan, you know who you're going to mail to. In general, you're going to mail to everybody every month, not every two months, because people like me love it because I jump in there and they think I'm somebody else, you know, that doesn't mail all the time. But you want, you want to mail every month. Now, I'll put a caveat here that if you're doing something like, uh, let's say you're doing uh, foreclosures or something that's on a timeline, like a, a sheriff sale, commissioner sale, whatever you call it in your state. Here we call it the commissioner sale, uh, where the property is going to be sold. You might need to be contacting those people more frequently, weekly or something. But in general, just my rule is I mail everybody every month until I buy the property, someone else buys the property, or for they come off my list for some mm-hmm. reason, just there is no deal there. What? to be had. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love, I, I see elements of sales in that, that I, that make me smile. Uh, yeah. I was about to say, I caught some sales elements too. Yeah. Um, one of my sales mentors, he's like, you need to follow up with people um, once a week for the first four weeks. Um, then once a month for the next, or no, what was it? No, it was once a day for the first two weeks, once a week for the following two weeks, and then once a month until one of you guys dies. Um, <laughs> it's kind of his motto. So, I mean, yeah, the fortune is in the follow-up, that is for sure. Well, it is, and there are times, I would say that if you think you've got an inkling of a deal, 
Yeah, I would definitely not. Once you've mm-hmm. talked to someone and you've got an inkling of a deal, then that's a different follow-up mm-hmm. sequence. Then you're going to follow up by phone, text, whatever. Um, you're going to be more aggressive in your follow-up. But I'm talking about just in general direct mail campaigns that mm-hmm. are kind of hanging totally. out there. But yeah, really, if that's a good analogy, because that's pretty much what I did. Unless the house just became unavailable, I had somebody say to me one time, "You you bought you marketed to someone for three years," and I said, "Oh yeah." It, on out-of-state absentee owners, I like to call them marketing money. You're never going to get rich, but you can get a few deals a year. You've made some good, you know, good marketing money. And they said, well, I can't believe you do that. And I said, look, it's all automated. I sent an oversized uh, postcard. Let's do the math on this one. It was less than 50 cents a postcard. So $6 a year for three years. And I made twelve, fourteen thousand dollars mm-hmm. $14,000. Was it worth it? I didn't do anything but order mm-hmm. the mail every month. Sure, it was mm-hmm. worth it. Absolutely. It's all about perspective. And deals create deals. You do a deal and then yep. you get referrals. Mm-hmm. And like the number of houses that you end up selling off of that one could be two to five to 10, depending on mm-hmm. the connectiveness of that person, the follow up after the sale, all those pieces. That, that brings up another good point that somebody told me when I was really new 25 years ago. They said, always ask. Do you have any more properties to sell? Mm-hmm. Because they're calling mm-hmm. from a direct mail perspective. Maybe you mailed them about a property at this address. They may have other rental property. They may be settling in a state. They may be selling their portfolio. And by not asking that one question, boy, you can cost yourself a boatload mm-hmm. of money. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, while we're talking about probates, so I know you mentioned that this is something that you tend to do locally that typically involves going to the courthouse or something like that. Can we give kind of, I mean, obviously it depends on the county and everything, mm-hmm. so it'll be a little bit different, but can we get an idea what that kind of experience would be like? Um, what are you requesting when you go there and things of that nature? Well, your goal should be to never to go to the courthouse. God bless you. If you live in New Jersey or Fort Lauderdale, some places, that's what you're going to have to do. Here they sure are in. <laughs> they are in. No, you don't. They're online. Oh, no? oh, okay, cool. You you've got the gold jackpot of probates in Chicago, so uh, you can get those leads online. And the way you can find out if they're online is simply Google probate plus like Cook County probate plus whatever county probate plus Chicago. So here they are not online. They are online in many counties. So with over 3,300 counties in the U.S., you have to do a little bit of detective work because each county is different. Some will be published in the newspaper like they are here, and you only need four pieces of information. You need the name and address of the deceased and the name and address of the executor or personal representative. You Unless you're going to have to go to the courthouse, you don't need anything like case numbers, dates of death. It doesn't matter because when someone opens a probate, it doesn't matter when the person passed away, they're raising their hand to say, I'm ready to sell the property. That's when you start marketing to people, when the probate is open, because you can't buy it before then. Mm. There's no, the person has passed away. They obviously can't sell their property. So there has to be a personal representative in there that I call the decision maker. So they, they are the only person that can sell that property. So you have to wait for the process. There's no getting, there's no getting there first. You can't, you couldn't buy the house. You can't make a side deal with the executor who thinks he's going to be the executor and get the, get the deal. It's just not going to work that Mm. way. Awesome. I appreciate that clarity. you, you, You have to do the detective work. Um, 
to figure out how to get the leads. That is the hardest part of the process. I'm not a fan of purchase leads, and I'll tell you why, because they're most typically pulled out of obituaries. Now, if you remember what I just said, they can't sell the house, and nobody wants somebody contacting them when their dad passed away or their mom just passed away. It's just don't do it, trust me. They'll put your name up on the refrigerator, and you'll never get the deal, so just don't do it. Yeah, that's good. And because essentially you're contacting the executor and there's maybe some separation, it sounds like, of time, then it's because that, that would be my understanding would be one of the objections our listeners might feel is, well, I don't want to be a hearse chaser or that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But because you're contacting the executor a little bit later, do you get a lot of that? Like, hey, you're just out no. trying to. No. And here's why. Here's why, because probate is a legal process that they must complete. So it starts out with somebody passes. It's a fairly straight line process. And there's another free resource you can get on my blog. It's called the Probate Investing Starter Kit. So I have a graphic that shows the process. I have a sample probate letter and some other things in there, completely free. Um, but the process is that someone passes away then the estate is open and that's got to be by a family member or whoever, if there was an executor, if they have a will, that person can go open it, but it has to be opened and that starts the whole process. So the next thing that happens is if there's, there's either a will and that's called testate or there's no will and that's called intestate. And the only difference here is that is how it moves forward. If there's a will, they would say, Matt would say, I named Tim to be my executor. I'm going to choose Tim and Tim, Tim, I trust to take care of the disposition of this estate according to my wishes. If there is no will, then the court's going to appoint somebody and that person will be called an administrator. They have all the roles, functions, duties, and legal responsibilities of an executor that was appointed. Now, collectively, these people are called the personal representative. They'll call them the PR. This is the, the decision maker, the only person that will be able to sign on a, a real estate contract. Now, you know, that's the third piece of that. So that's the, the estate is open. Guess what happens next? The property can be sold. All the assets are, all the assets are consolidated into cash. So this is not a matter of if they want to sell the house. They have to sell the house. Unless they've made, it's been directly willed or it's in a trust. So you, the, the magic about probates is that they have to sell the property, any property that's in the estate. Then, so if you go on with that, so the assets are sold, the creditors are paid. So the creditors are anybody, including mortgages, uh, car payments, hospital bills, certainly funeral expenses, uh, nursing home fees. All the creditors are paid, and in most states, this is true in Chicago, there is a notice to creditors uh, published in the paper, and it will say you have um, this long to bring your claim against the estate, and usually about six months after that, then you're just out of luck. Once that, whatever your procedure is, is followed, then you can, um, the next thing in line is the heirs get what's what's coming to them. See how far down the airs mm. are? So they mm -hmm. are very motivated to see this process move forward. It's required by law. When there's a probate, there's a, your state will lay out and you can look up, you can Google like uh, Illinois probate process. It's all pretty much the same everywhere. They might have a few nuances and there are other things that are going on behind the scenes. 
that you don't need to know about. You don't need to be an attorney or anything like that. You just need to know how this works. And then the estate is closed. So it's a very straight line process. But stop and think about this for a minute. All the leads. And you have something like 800 probates a month in Chicago. We have way less here, mm-hmm. like an eighth of that. It is just a little gold mine of business up there. And in, in most states, I mean, it is, you have to change your mindset around mm-hmm. this. There's, you asked me about the ambulance chasers. No, this, there's none of that. And the reason is because they understand they have to take care of the business of settling this estate. And when I tell you I've gotten more hugs at probate closings, that's 100% mm. the truth. They are so glad you helped them out of this god-awful, miserable spot they've been in. They're done. They can move on with their life, their kids, their families, whatever that looks like. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely true. I've never targeted probates. Um, not at your, I mean, you're, you're giving me the hard sell here. Um, <laughs> it sounds extremely... Um, appealing to me now. Um, but I have worked with some people in that same exact situation and it's, it's really awesome to be able to help them just solve the problem. You know, like oftentimes I'll just be like, Hey, if you could give me a dumpster and I know you have all these things that are not super valuable, I'll get the house cleared out for you. Just get the dumpster place. We'll take care of everything for you. And And like all the extra steps and stuff like that in the sales process just really makes it easier to get referrals down the line. Yeah. My contract uh, for a probate actually says you can you can take what you want, walk away, and leave it, and we'll take mm. care of it. I figure a dumpster, and I look at the property, and I'll go, okay, this is four men two days, or sometimes it's okay, this is eight men five days, it's okay, it's okay whatever. <laughs> yeah. But you just figure that in there, and especially when I was wholesaling, it was just on the repair list. I don't even make them get the dumpster. Mm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm I'm, to clarify, I was talking more so like retail. So like if I go in there, I'll offer them wholesale or retail. If Mm -hmm. I do retail, retail. they got to pay for the dumpster. If I'm going to wholesale it or flip it or flip it rather, of course I'm paying for the dumpster. Well, they're going to pay, they're going to pay for it in my Mm -hmm. offer. They're going to pay for it. Well, exactly. That's how they're paying for it. Precisely. So, but they, that's a, with probates, that is a big, big Mm -hmm. point. And that is something you should always put in your contract that you will clean out the house. If that's something they need you to Mm -hmm. do. Because if they can take what they want and be done and walk away, that is your that is your ace in the yeah. hole. That is your your wild card yeah. for them. And Sharon, you'd recommend that in contract whether you're buying it or doing retail, both just taking care of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's the biggest sticking point to them not moving mm. on. They go and they get the jewelry and they look. For, everybody looks for money and. Grandma hid money in the books or whatever. Mm-hmm. They look for valuables and then they they take a rant, look around. They go, okay, I'll come back next week and deal with this. And they come back next week and they go, oh well, now I'm going to I'm going to lunch. <laughs> then it just becomes this job that they just can't do. So if you can overcome that, so I recommend offering that, but also ask them what is holding you back from selling this property. It may be something like they've discovered back taxes. Their mom didn't pay back taxes. If you can just say, don't worry about that. You know, I'll just include that in my offer. No, no worries. You, what else, what else is it you need? Well, I need this or this. And then you just keep reducing your offer and um, you just take, you just solve their Mm. problems. You know, that works for them. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that strategy because you're getting them to reduce the price for you. Um, And so I love doing that. And one of the other things I love to ask um, in particular, like a wholesale call. It's like, hey, if I gave you a Home Depot gift card, $30,000, what would you do to the house? 
Mm-hmm. And whatever they just told me, they just gave me a $30,000 price reduction. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I ask it a little bit differently. I've never asked it that way, but I always say, well, when they're trying to say, well, no, uh, I can get this vanity installed. I can get the vanity for $200 or whatever. And I always say, look, do I look like I swing a hammer? I'm using contractors. <laughs> they're going to have a home inspection. I know all about that one. So it's got to be done right. But if you were going to live in this property yourself, what work would you do? Then they're going, oh, these hardwood floors are terrible. The same ones that were good five minutes ago. I would change this and this and this, but I get the same exact result. But I like the mm. Home Depot idea. But I ask the question a little bit differently. I like I like listening to you guys because these these are good good ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just like, here's the price. Marketing. It's all, it's all yeah. marketing. Man. Here's it's the price, marketing. yeah. Matt's a bit more aggressive than us. We take a more tactile approach. <laughs> yeah. um, that's funny. Uh, if I could shift us a little yeah, bit. That is funny. Uh, Sharon, you're in the world of investing and you're investing with people that are in situations that are tough and overwhelming. And I'm assuming there might even be some overwhelm on your end dealing with these situations. Can you take us through maybe some of the more difficult parts of your investing journey? and how you came through those to the success that you have today? Honestly, it was just, I learned from each situation. When, when I say that I used to be like the Libra poster child, I, I would avoid confrontation at all costs. I was really pretty introverted, which is kind of hard to believe today. But uh, I just learned how to talk to people, not being a salesman, a salesman trained person. I had to learn to talk to people. And I just looked up one day and it, I just realized it was easy. So my advice is mm-hmm. to you just, you just talk to the people and you find out what they need. And in any given situation, I have to tell you, other than having to try to break up a few kitchen table arguments when the family couldn't agree mm-hmm. on things, I haven't had too many problems. I, I think you have to get a little bit bold. You have to get out of your comfort zone, especially if you're not a real outgoing person. You have to get to where you have to learn a little bit of mediation skills, which is kind of like being a parent, mm-hmm. you know, how to keep the one brother from killing the other one. Um, I think, I think, I don't think there's any way to really teach this. I think this is a hands on learning experience. Mm. If we can zero down on this, because you know we coach people and, and you coach people and so essentially you went from being an introvert to being at least extroverted enough to run the sales process and i know you're making that sound very easy mm-hmm. but a lot of our listeners who are introverts would not find it to be that way i would want to try and capture here what were maybe some of the thought patterns a book you read like what led to that did you emulate somebody how, how did you, how did that transformation take place I, I spent most of my time outside of my comfort mm. zone. I made myself do things. Now I'm an avid reader, so I would, there is a, some truth to that, uh, how to overcome that. But I never read, I never really read a lot of mindset books. I think you have to get up every day and you have to, sometimes it can get overwhelming if you look at the too broad of a thing. If you know today you're going to look at a property and you need to uh, talk to this seller. I focus on how, how to build rapport with the seller. So for instance, if I were a new investor and I was going to talk to someone about a probate and I'm all nervous, first thing you have to do is you have to fix your mindset and you do that by understanding the process. 
And that's what we talked about, that it's a legal process. They need our help. And you have to really get that in your mind that you're not taking advantage of anybody. And whether it's another type of a deal, they wouldn't be calling you if they had other options. If they had a perfect house and they could list it on the MLS. So if you go at it from a problem-solving mindset of a, honestly, and I believe in telling them up front, you know, you, they have to know that you're going to make money on this deal. This is your business. Mm -hmm. But you're also there to solve their problem and create a win-win situation. So first thing is you just got to talk a, to yourself a little bit about your mindset. And you have to understand their mindset. And I believe that all of that starts on the telephone. Mm. I like to call it changing the seller's expectations. Yeah. Mm. I always had the tax assessor site up when I would be taking the calls. And when they say, well, I've got to have 150, I would say, gosh, that's going to be tough because your house is only appraised for 100,000. And we'd start down mm -hmm. the what repairs when they, they're telling you there aren't very many. Before I would ever look at the property, they would already know they weren't getting what they wanted. So I didn't, I don't believe in just throwing out ridiculous numbers. I would go to the property then, and then I would do a similar role-playing thing with them. You know, what would you do if you're going to live, if you're going to live in this house? So then we start chunking that number down and to go at it from that way. I don't think you have to be aggressive. I don't think you, uh, Matt probably gets done a whole lot faster than we do just <laughs> from a sales perspective. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, uh, be, maybe, but we probably maybe, get a lot maybe. more repeat business. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, if you were going to, let's say you were going, you were nervous. This is your first probate deal and you're going to talk to a woman and her mom passed away. So here's what you do. You, you've already talked to them on the phone. You go up, you introduce yourself, you say something nice like lovely yard or something, whatever suits mm -hmm. for you. You know, I have guys that would say nice shoes, <laughs> whatever, mm -hmm. something. And then you go in the house and you look for visual clues. And this works for any property, but it works especially well for probates. I would look around and uh, I would see maybe cookbooks on the bookcase and I would say oh and you know you know the mom has passed away was your mom the cook and then they would launch into yes my mom cooked every Christmas dinner here for 42 years you just don't say anything you just listen or if it's a dad or an uncle oh and there's golf club oh was your dad the golfer yes he played golf for 50 years you don't have to say anything you just listen I want to stop right here that is so strategic. I love, love, love what you just said. That is well. That now that's just, that's just that's me so being over the Go ahead and take over, Matt. It's just me learning how to get past the awkward stage. Really, there's some there's some gold nugget in what you just said that when I, we train salespeople, like they don't catch this. You didn't say your golfer. You put the emphasis on the things that you see. Like this is such a fundamental sales mm -hmm. skill that I think too many people lack. It is. Is you're just commenting on the things that you see and letting them talk further. Yeah. Like that is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And you can do that with even family photos. If you were to see a big family photo, I mean, literally you find something of visual interest. You bring it up to them and you let them talk. And by the time mm. they're finished, and you do have to be a good listener. Most of the time it's not that long. But they want so badly mm -hmm. to tell a story, especially with probates, about their, their person. And it's not going to be 20, 30 minutes. They're going to just tell you a story. And then you might say, I can totally relate. Uh, every Christmas, my mom did something. Or my dad, you know, every summer he would be playing golf and, you know, whatever. 
you can just, everything is a story. I think um, whether you're creating content or whether you are trying to get a sale, it all, it all comes about the stories you build around all the people involved in the transaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really love that explanation. Absolutely phenomenal. That's very targeted rapport building. Um, so I'm going to be implementing that like immediately. So thank well, you for that branding. advice. That's Tim. Um, Branded yourself different yeah. from everybody else. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's absolutely tremendous. You said something right at the tail end there that I would, really wanted to dive deeper into, but it's it's escaping me at the moment. I'll ask a question, Tim, and then, then just spend time thinking about yeah. it so we can catch that. Sharon, as far as mentors, have I mean, it sounds like maybe your dad might be being in construction, but can you talk about maybe your most important mentor? Well, I've had a lot of mentors. I would like to talk about having mentors and hiring coaches because mm -hmm. I'm very passionate about that. When I started a long time ago, there were very few resources. Um, we talk about it. We kind of laugh about it now. It was like BI before the internet. So it was like, when they, well, you know, really and truly, uh, mm -hmm. it was, it was, a wasn't quite before the internet, but it was, everything wasn't available like it is today. And there were very few conferences, you know, there was OREA up in Ohio. There were some, uh, what's called the dog and pony show speakers that came around to your meetings, but there weren't a lot of resources and there weren't a lot of hard coaches. You could maybe get somebody locally and ride along. But today, the best thing you can do for yourself is to hire a coach early on, one or two. I know people that have personal coaches. They have a business coach. Uh, I know someone that is a very uh, big business person that has a, um, uh, like a mindset coach. You know, they have all sorts of coaches. But hire a coach and because you will go further and faster with a, with a coach. Mentors, you should have mentors, someone in your local marketplace that you can call up like one of us and ask a question or two, but you cannot grow your business effectively without a coach. Now, I will say that, you know, I have a friend who has uh, $44 million worth of real estate, single family homes. He has two or three coaches at all times because he's always trying to get to the next level. It's about the speed of which you can implement and the speed of which you can learn and you can grow. Now, this applies whether you want to simply have a more scalable, uh, tight business. They can teach you how to do that. Not everyone wants to grow huge. I never wanted to grow huge where I had two or 300 houses. That wasn't my goal. My goal was a lifestyle business. And you can get a coach that can help you hone in on uh, being uh, doing more profitable deals. Maybe not doing more deals, but doing more profitable deals. So whatever your weakness is in your business, save yourself some grief. Sure. Listen to podcasts, listen, you know, look at blogs, consume the free stuff, but jump off the ledge and spend some money. You're going to have to spend some money and you will never regret it. Your, your goal should be to just take, get a few ideas that you can 10 X and then that money's well spent on that coach. Totally. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about this the last couple of days, because I have coaches, I have networking, not networking, but I have groups that I'm in mm -hmm. where we hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different ways to look at the development of a person or a business. Like you have the overall vision of mm -hmm. what that person wants for their life and business. 
And then you have the general strategies that they go about it with. And then there's the methodologies they use within the strategies. And then there's the skills. And all of those easily could benefit from a coach. You know, and so, and a lot of times the people that will teach those, they're, they're different people. The, the person that's going to help you create the best vision for your life is generally not the person that's going to help you learn how to do probate sales specifically. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you do need, you need different things. And another thing that I'm a big believer in is having an accountability partner. And that mm -hmm. may be the two of you all. I have someone that I met in a, a mm -hmm. it was a, not a paid mastermind. It was a group of six investors from uh, all over the country, very purposefully, we were not in the same market. So we could share openly about the struggles and things we met uh, once, or, I can't remember, once or twice a month. And it was very structured. You had 10 or 15 minutes, you know, to say what you said, get the input and move on. So it was very, very structured. But one of the people that was in that group, and I guess now it's probably coming up on seven or eight years at least, him and I still talk every Tuesday morning at 8.30, wow. 30, 45 minutes. It's a quick phone call. What are you doing? What have you been up to? What are you frustrated about? It might be, listen, I've had a really bad week. I didn't get squat done. It might be I'm working on a workshop. It might be whatever it is. But so we do that. We also have always had the habit of meeting up before COVID at least two, three times a year, we would meet up with a couple of other investors. This is informal. This is not a formal thing. We would have a goal to work on something. We would usually, we would leave our cities because we all live someplace different. And we would stay in a hotel for like two or three days. And we would just go sit down in the atrium. If we were at the, uh, you know, one of the big heights, we'd go sit in the atrium and we would just work and brainstorm and come back with new ideas. But you can create all kinds of opportunities that might cost you a plane ticket or a drive or a hotel room, but to meet up with people and be open. You have to be coachable though. And this is something we've all had to learn to do. You, you, sometimes have, we all have a tendency to say, but, but in my market or no, that won't work for me or whatever. You have to just stop saying that and try to absorb what they're saying. Because a lot of times people can look at your business through their eyes and see the landmines and the holes you can't see. Totally. 100%. Yeah. So oftentimes when I see somebody looking to find a coach, I'm like, you need to find somebody that you could have blind faith in. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to listen to whatever you say and I'm going to do it. And if you, um, because if you can't have blind faith in somebody, you probably have. Well, the not coach. only that you shouldn't have, I, I, I don't think you should be trying to, you know, the, what's the saying about the dog, but the dog that chases two rabbits doesn't keep catch either one or something like that. Mm -hmm. If you have a coach for your real estate investing business, you should follow that coach. And then when you decide that coach doesn't serve you, maybe you all outgrow each other or whatever, then change and listen to somebody else. But you can't have two or three people coaching you on the same exact thing because then it just doesn't work. And it's not good for you and it's not good for your coach and you're wasting your money. Totally. Okay, Sharon. So just dialing it back a little bit, you mentioned content creation being one of your biggest marketing methods. Um, how do you attack that from a wholesaling angle? So, I mean, I know how realtors are doing it. I'm curious how you would do that from um, an investor's perspective. Well, you know, I've, I've had a blog and a podcast for a long time now, but you don't have to do that. You, you must create some kind of content. And if you, um, you know, most real estate investors are not writers, a few are podcasters. Almost everybody can do video. You can, 
literally create content and put it on Facebook. So I'll tell you a story. That's really one of my most low tech real estate investor friends. He barely has a phone with a camera. He's never doing direct mail and he does a lot of deals, but he would, before he quit his job, he would drive, drive a different route to and from his job every day and look for distressed properties. He was, would always take still pictures of the properties and post them on Facebook. Oh, I found another winner today. Look at this ugly thing. And you know, just crazy stuff. So he went along like this for about a year or two. And he got known as, as Scott, the guy that did a lot of deals. One day he went on Facebook and posted, oh my gosh, my private money lender isn't going to get their money back in time to close my deal tomorrow. And I need some money. That's all he said. He had two or three offers within 15 minutes because he was hmm. known as Scott, the guy who did a lot of deals. Hmm. So with your smartphone today, do get in the habit of doing walkthroughs of properties. Record those walkthroughs. Do not record anything that might identify the property, especially not the address. Or, but do walkthroughs. Make comments about, oh, can you believe this? there's a big hole in the ceiling? It doesn't have to be good quality. Go outside thinking of the realtor's perspective. If you, a realtor would be on the, on the camera some, you can do that as an investor. Even if you're camera shy, you can go, you can say, gosh, I really hate this. You can just go, Hey, it's Tim again. Let me flip the camera around and show you this property. It can be that fast, but you mm -hmm. have to identify yourself because remember you can't be the best kept secret in town from a marketing and branding perspective. So even if you hate it, we all hate it. The first time I got asked to do a video for someone, uh, for their website, a training video, 15 minute video. It took me about two days to get it done. It was, there were so many retakes and it was so bad. I finally just went, okay, enough. Nobody mm -hmm. almost is comfortable with it in the beginning. I, I, men are more comfortable with it than women are just generally. Gosh, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I think, yeah, of, right. I think to myself, I'm like, that was nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always, I'll tell you a secret. It's always nerve wracking. I've, mm -hmm. I've had a podcast since 2013. If you are not a little bit, you know, amped up about it, then you're not on your game. And it, you, yeah. I mean, you can look there, you can see you're all calm and all that, but you've got to have a little bit of a pep, you know, or something. But even mm -hmm. after all this time, I, I don't really get so nervous. I still don't like doing video. I still do video with every podcast. Mm -hmm. Do I like it? Not really. Do I like to watch myself? No, no, but definitely that's, not. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you have. That's what you have to do. Live. Mm. If you're not living outside your comfort zone, and this is how I changed everything from being the person who literally could not speak to 20 people in a room to being able to walk up on a stage with 400 people. I just every day made myself do something that was uncomfortable. Mm. There really is no magic button. There's no secret. You just have to do it. You know because success. What in my mind, what separates a lot of successful people is there's this line of fire. There's the people over here that just won't cross the line. And there's the other people that go, heck yes, I'm, I might get burned, but I'm jumping over the fire. And they just mm. do it day after day after day. And one day they just realize where, where's the fire. It wasn't ever really there. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. Such a great, you know, image. And I love too, how you tied this thing back to the comfort zone. It seems to be the frame. And I love that, that, I mean, obviously success comes from getting outside your comfort zone and you have repeatedly been willing to put yourself outside that comfort zone to, to grow. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. It's still hard sometimes. Hmm. 
Can I ask you this? You said you mentioned that you were always considered yourself an introvert. Do you still consider yourself an introvert today? No. Or, or do you feel like no, you've I feel like, a, I feel like I'm a fully recovered introvert. Whoa. <laughs> but it's been over that's, a long that's period. Awesome. It's I love been that. over a long period of time. But you, but I, if you don't ever take those steps and do the scary things, you, you won't ever come out of it. Truly, you won't. Yeah. I love the way you phrase that. I'm a recovered <laughs> introvert. So, I mean, I was also very quiet when I was younger, um, which most people find extremely surprising. Um, I don't think I was ever truly an introvert. I think I was an insecure extrovert, which is different. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it took a lot of confidence building to actually figure out like, oh, I'm actually like, I like hanging out with other people and, and leading the conversation and stuff like that. It took a long time for me to I figure know. that out. Um, so I think there's actually probably a lot of people out there that think they're introverts, but they're not. They're just insecure. Well, and I think that's, I think that's always a part of it. So when, um, mm. you know, they say public speaking is the biggest fear for everyone. And that was certainly a, a real horror show for me. So we talked about mindset a little bit earlier. I changed my mindset around it. The first time I got asked to teach something, well, to speak to a group, it was merely like 20 people in a room. I just changed my whole perception of, I was just have, talking to a small group of people. There was, and from then on, I was able to change that. And you start small. Maybe you're at a small local meetup and you get up and you leave the meeting. You just look at these people like they're family or friends. You get up there and you teach what you teach. And then maybe over time it gets to be a hundred people. And then you just look up one day, and this is really and truly how it happens. You just look up one day and you you just kind of are go, I just did that. I can't believe I did that. You know, mm -hmm. there were hundreds of people. I was actually on a stage or whatever it is. But it's ba you baby step your way into it. But if you didn't do that very first talk, you'd be right back over here not doing the very first talk. That's, and I, I think about it, think about speaking as conversations. That's why I told Matt, I'll never be like um, a from the stage salesperson. You've all seen them and they've all got the arm moves and they've all been to speaking empire and all that stuff. But um, you don't have to be that person to be a success in business. You have to be your most authentic self and you have to be able to communicate. And that's really what it comes down to. Hmm. Absolutely tremendous answer there. Um, so Sharon, what are you currently working on building? I am currently working on um, building out some mini workshops for investors. So I can take one topic, like one of them, the first one I'm going to do is going to be on marketing and how to create a marketing plan. So we're going to talk about that one. Uh, how to, uh, how did you, how do you do that from a practical point of view, kind of what we talked about. How do you do that? And then I'm going to do one on probate. I'm going to do these little workshops for people. And uh, that always, the, you know, I have a, a boatload of content done already, podcasts, blogs, and things like that, what people can consume for free. But I'm about, I'm looking at this a little bit differently in that they're going to pay a little bit of money, maybe $27 or $37, but I want them to implement. So I'm looking for committers. You know, I want people to say, I'm going to show up and do whatever this, this and get the small win, something that will actually move their business forward. So somebody that would be interested in something like that, like where would they find you? How would they be able to reach out to you and um, these events that you're going to be hosting? Mm -hmm. Like where would be the best way for them to find out more information and how to get in touch with you? 
Well, uh, you know, they'll be on the podcast, Let's Talk Real Estate Investing, but the probably the best way is to come over to the blog. That is a hub for, uh, there's a link there. You can listen to the podcast there. You can watch the videos there. You know, everything is on YouTube. It's all over every place. But if you come to the blog, the Louisville Gals Real Estate blog, there's a link to the podcast. You know, there's um, a link to the course. I'll have eventually have the workshops up there. So that's kind of the central hub for everything. And that's and and get a freebie. So I've got some great freebies over there. Just get a freebie and that will put you on my list. And then from there, I will email you when I have a workshop or a, I, I send out freebies occasionally, just new things I create. And those go to my people on my list. Absolutely tremendous. So now anybody listening, you know how to reach Sharon. Sharon, we want to sincerely thank you for coming on our show and giving us a glimpse of your life and business. And to everyone else out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. If you do nothing else, just write down one action that you got from today and make sure to implement that in the next seven days. It might be worth taking a look at Sharon's website and her marketing plan and maybe joining her mailing list. Um, please share whatever that one action is you choose with somebody that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you again for tuning in to today's episode, and we'll catch you on the next one. Have a great day.